Okay, so for the final lecture today, we talked about torts and we transitioned into intentum torts. But I did promise that we would be going over some of the liability based upon fault uh, because I didn't finish those cases last time. And so we just finished those cases today, uh, today and then we'll go into intent in uh, just a little bit. Uh, let me pull up my notes briefly. Okay, so we yesterday talked about Hull and Weaver, and today we focused on Brown v. Kendall and Cohen v. Petty and uh, Spano v. Perini. And the whole point of sharing all this is to outline the narrative arc of how liability has developed throughout history. So in Hull, it was strict liability, meaning that uh, the defendant was always liable for an in, for a thing regardless of intent. In Weaver v. Ward, it was the defendant is liable unless he can prove that there was no intention uh, to cause the harm. But the defendant is liable. In Brown v. Kendall, we get two things here. So in this incident, uh, the facts of this case, Brown and Kendall's, their dogs were fighting in an attempt to separate them. Uh, Kendall raised a stick, which struck Brown in the eye and uh, caused him to be hurt, obviously. Uh, during instructions, uh, during the trial, during trial instructions, uh, the defense uh, had a bunch of... Uh, the instructions said that the defense had the burden of proof, and he had to prove that he exercised extraordinary care. Uh which is as defined in the popular sense. And instead, when this went to the other court, it was said that he needed to have ordinary care, and it was up to the plaintiff to decide whether or not he met that uh, burden of care. And so that's the biggest change from, um, from Weaver v. Ward to Brown v. Kendall, where first the defendant had to have the proof, and the big change is that the plaintiff now has the proof uh, to show unlawful intent or that the defendant was at fault. Okay, let's go over Cohen v. Petty real quick. So Cohen v. Petty, uh, in this case, it was an accident. Uh, the husband felt sick as he was driving. He had no previous history of uh, any medical conditions. He paint, fainted while he was driving and caused an accident. The back passengers did not see what happened uh, very well. They guessed his speed. Uh, they didn't see him faint, and all of a sudden he passed out. Uh, and right after that, the accident happened. So there was no room for really a whole lot of time because the sequence events was so... Uh, spaced out. What happened here is that they brought this case against them, and the judge uh, gave a final ruling without it going to a jury, uh, because no reasonable jury would notice that he had negligence because he had no evidence of ever having a history. Had he had a history, or had he felt tired, or had he felt ill beforehand, that would be a different story because if he got under the car under any of those circumstances, 
intending to drive, knowing that he was impaired in some sort, uh, then there would be some negligence on uh, his part. So that's in Cohen v. Petty. Uh, and then in Spano v. Imprini Corps, this is a case about blasting. And this is how we complete our narrative arc. And if you think of an arc, just think of it going up and then down. And you're in a different place along a timeline, but you're kind of back in the same place. Uh, there are differences, uh, just to note, but we're going to see how absolute liability comes back into play. So in this case, Spano and Davis are the plaintiffs. They own a garage and a vehicle in the garage, and there is blasting that occurred nearby 125 feet away, and it caused damage to the vehicle and the garage. Now, it didn't cause damage by debris, but it caused damage by the sound waves. Uh, because there was no, it, there was no claims of negli negligence made probably because they were following the safety procedures that were required. So no negligence claim was made. Instead, they wanted to argue that companies should be liable for, well, that the company should be liable for absolutely liable for this action and why would they be absolutely liable well they would be liable because it's an abnormal a dangerous activity so it's lawful in all regards but because it's abnormally dangerous um they have liability regardless of fault well what's the consequence of this uh companies that participate in abnormally dangerous activities are going to go and get liability insurance and then that liability insurance is going to be built into the cost of that is quoted to um quoted a client so for example say it was ten thousand dollars to perform this blast after this ruling the company would go and uh, purchase liability insurance uh, so that they wouldn't be liable for all the damages if there are damages in, uh, in the suits that are brought up against them in the future. Uh, the assumption is that all the other companies are also going to be bringing, uh, purchasing liability insurance and to keep costs low for liability insurance, you don't want to be liable often. So it encourages companies to exercise care, uh, even though they could, in a sense, just build the cost into the quote. Uh, let's see. I think that's most of what we talked about in that case. Let's go over what we focused on in uh, intent. And we focused on one case, maybe two. I think just one. This is intent in torts. So we talked about Garrett v. Daly, and that was the only case that we talked about. There, there are some other cases that we wanted to talk about but didn't uh, get to today, and so we'll get to that tomorrow. But Garrett v. Daly, uh, this case here, Daly is a five-year-old boy. Uh, he was at the Garrett's house, and uh, Mrs. Garrett and her sister was there, uh, um, Brian Daly, I should say, uh, removed a chair from Mrs. Garrett as she was sitting down and caused her damages and injuries. So she sued, and the 
jury decided to side with Daly's facts, saying that he was trying to put the chair under Garrett, and eventually this went to the Supreme Court of Washington. Okay, so there's some things that we talked about here about the intent. Uh, it gets pretty detailed and it's slightly confusing, but you need to determine if there's the intent. And how do you determine if there's intent? Well, first you need to see if he meant to cause her harm. And did he mean to pull the chair out from under her? And if Brian Daly says yes, he meant to pull the chair out from under her, then there is intent. The second way that you can prove intent is if there is sufficient... I want to get this right. If there's substantial certainty that that would be the result. So, for example, say Brian Daly is sitting uh, next to the... Um, it, well, is standing next to the Garrett's, and uh, he says, well, she might sit down, and he takes the care, and he sees her sitting down. It's like, well, she might have known that the chair is there, or she might have known that the chair had been moved. Uh, if you get enough substantial certainty that he knew that the result would be that Mrs. Garrett fell, and then there is some evidence that there is intent. And so that's really what we talked about with um, Garrett v. Daly. And tomorrow we're going to be talking more about Wagner v. State, which is going to go over into making sure you argue how the plaintiff felt instead of how the defendant feels. Um, but we'll get into that more tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't our pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice, and with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.